right? All right, we're in a series called The Red Letters, and this, we're talking about the teachings of Jesus. So we've been studying the things that are in red. I think it's great advice that a pastor friend of mine gave me one time. He says, just read the red and do what it said. I don't know if that's good English, but it's good advice. So uh, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles with me today to one of Jesus's key passages. It's in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And we're only doing three um, three messages in this series, the teachings of Jesus or the, the red letters. And we, in the first week of the series, we talked about, we're talking about the major themes in Jesus's teachings. And the first week, we said that Jesus never said that he was a teacher, although he was a teacher. We said he, he never claimed to be a rabbi, though we know he, he surely was. He never said that he was a priest, though he's the high priest of our confession but what he did proclaim that he was was a king and so he preached the gospel of the kingdom when the Sanhedrin the religious people held court against Jesus he answered not a word he didn't say anything but when they sent him over to Pontius Pilate which was a political court then Jesus got really chatty Pilate said so you're the king of the Jews. And Jesus immediately answered and said, you say rightly I'm a king. It was for this purpose that I was born. And so we, we thoroughly talked about the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And I encourage you that if you missed that teaching to go back on our website in the archive and listen to the first teaching in this series, The Red Letters. So last week was Father's Day. We talked about how a major theme in Jesus' ministry and his teaching was about the Father. He loved his daddy, and he wanted all of us to get, he wants all of us to get to know his father. So he talked in depth about his father. We talked about fathers last week. I even told some great dad jokes. So if you, if you missed that, it's worth going back on the archive just to hear the, the, the corny dad jokes. So <clears throat> that's right, I'm a corn star. So this week, we're going to talk about a major theme in Jesus' teaching, and it is discipleship. I'm going to warn you that this is not a sexy message. You're probably not going to get your hanky out and wave it at me, and you're probably not going to take a Holy Ghost lap around the sanctuary, you know. I mean, who knows? It's the 11 o'clock service. Anything can happen. But, but, but this is not, you know, one of those kind of messages. But it's important. It's fundamental. It's foundational. And it's, in fact, it's of paramount importance as far as what Jesus taught. So before I forget, I'm going to just pause and greet my friends from India that are here from Mumbai. Would you guys stand up? This is the Hendricks family. They're missionaries in Bombay, India. God bless you. And welcome. There was four of them yesterday. I don't know what happened, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're glad. Well, honored that you're here worshiping with us today, you guys. Bless you. So to tell you how important this topic of discipleship is in Jesus' teachings in the book of Matthew, 25 out of 28 chapters deals with discipleship. In the gospel of Mark, 16 out of 16 chapters deal with discipleship. In the gospel of Luke, everybody say, Luke, I am your father. Never mind. Luke, 16 out of 24 chapters, discipleship. And in John, 18 out of 21 chapters deal with discipleship. Pretty important. Jesus, it dominated Jesus' teachings. So it's a, a huge component of what he talked about. Let's go right to Matthew 28, 
in verse, 20, uh, verse 18, Matthew 28, 18, if you're there, say, oh, yeah. Remember that song? Oh, yeah, we have a church. We ain't going nowhere. Early 90s, I guess you had to be there. All right. Um, Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me. Everybody say all. The Greek meaning of the word all is all. The Alabama definition is there ain't none left. So it's really, really similar. But Jesus, it says, all authority has been given unto me. In other words, how much does the devil have left? Goose egg, zero, nada, bilko nehi, nothing. Right? So all of it has been given legally, rightfully to Jesus. Adam gave it to Satan. Jesus came and got it back. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's here. And then he says, what do you do with this authority? What am I going to do with this authority? He says, because I have all this authority, I'm giving it to you. I'm delegating it to you. Therefore, go. Everybody say go. You know, two-thirds of God is go. (laughs) Anyway. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That word nations is the word ethnos in the Greek. uh, Because in some nations are made up of various ethnic groups. And Jesus is saying, make disciples of every ethnic group. This is, again, I don't have time to really talk about this, but this is Jesus, again, emphasizing and confirming that all people of all races, of all colors, of all ethnicities are made in the image of God. You could have given me a better amen, but I'll take what you gave me there. And that's why Satan comes to bring division All bigotry and racism is from the pit of hell because it's the enemy's attempt to convince some people that others are not created in the image of God. But it's a lie. It takes all ethnicities to reflect accurately God because we are made in his image. (laughs) God made Adam in his own image. We are God's self-portrait. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So if you've ever wanted to know what God looked like, just look around. Okay? So anyway, that's a whole other sermon for another day, but I thought it was at least worth mentioning here. That's one of the things, one of, two things that people say about our church when they come. The first thing, they go, man, your people are so friendly. And then they go, There's, I, your congregation is so diverse. And, you know, usually friendly and diverse don't go together in the natural, right? 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 But this is not natural. This is supernatural. This is a supernatural church composed of supernatural people called to do supernatural things in a supernatural way. This is God's super on our natural. I have, have, uh, I have lots of pastor friends in, in Mobile. And uh, a lot of my black pastor friends, they go, how do I get white people to come to my church? And a lot of my white pastor friends, they say, how do I get black people to come to my church? And I give them the same answer. I don't know. I don't know. Just, we don't think about it. It's just, I don't know. Just love people. And cool things happen. So Jesus said, make disciples of all nations. And then he tells us how. You ready? Here's the how baptizing them 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, next Sunday is Water Baptism Sunday. You can sign up on our app. If you haven't downloaded our Harvest Church mobile app, or you can sign up out at the info booth in the hallway, wherever that is. I know it's at the Next Steps booth. Thank you, the VIP lounge. It's, it's a schizophrenic room. It can't decide what its name is, but it's out there in the hallway. It's got a big gate and open gates to let you in. And, um, yeah, somebody asked me one time, one pastor came, he goes, where are the, the, the room was closed, the gates were closed. He goes, what are those, what's that gated room for? I said, that's where we lock the non-tithers. <laughs> that's not true, though. <coughs> so how do you make disciples? You baptize them. And then you teach them. Teaching them to observe all things I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How is he with us always? Through the person of the Holy Spirit. So we baptize people, we teach them, and we practice the presence of the Lord. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's always with you. You're never alone. You always got the greater one on the inside of you. That's how I know that you're not called to do average things. You're called to do greater things. Because you got the greater one. If you're called to do average things, Jesus would have said, Behold, I send you the average one who will be with you always, or at least most of the time. No, the greater one is with you all the time. Amen. Somebody say it with me. Come on, say, I'm called to do greater things. Say, I am not average. I'm greater. You might think that sounds arrogant. No, it's just the truth. Okay. Discipleship begins and ends with evangelism how many of you can't disciple someone until you win them to Christ and once you win them to Christ you disciple them and what do you disciple them to do to win people to Christ and to disciple them so the beginning and the end of of discipleship is evangelism in other words the mission of missions is missions that's why we support missions and that's why we love missionaries and that's why we reach out into our local community because that's why we're here This discipleship. Well, how do you disciple people? You win them to Jesus. And you baptize them and you teach them. And you teach them that the Holy Ghost is in them and on them and with them. And then when they figure that out, they're going to go win people to Jesus. So Jesus, he didn't say go make worshipers. He didn't say go make tithers. He didn't say go make workers. He said go make what? Disciples. So the mission from the master is threefold, called to be alive in Christ, equipped to be like Christ, and sent to declare and live for Christ. So everybody say it with me. Called, equipped, and sent. So we inform leaders and we form leaders. Now this is the summertime, and I usually teach a little deeper in the summertime because you usually have your core congregation, you know, that's here so you can handle a little bit more you the, you the deep sheep you gotta be careful how you say that so how do you inform and how do you form leaders by you're ready to take jot this down how do you inform and how do you form leaders you ready by getting involved in their life by getting involved in their life I'll give you an example it's in Luke chapter 5 the gospel of Luke chapter 5 Verses 1 through 11. Now it happened while the crowd was pressing around Jesus and listening to the word of God. 
he was standing by the lake Gennesaret, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. The reason for that is because the fishermen, they would fish late at night in the shallows, when the fish would come to the shallows. And then as the day got hotter, the fish would swim deeper. And so it's harder to catch them when they're in the deep water. So you call it a day. They fished at night. All right? And verse 3, he got, Jesus got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little way from the land. And when he sat down, he began teaching the people from the boat. Jesus spoke, and his voice carried across the water and up the hill where all the people were sitting. So it was like a little natural amphitheater. I love that Jesus leveraged technology to amplify his ministry. I think that's awesome. One of the things that Ian and those guys are doing in Mumbai is they're creating an app called Guruji, and they're going to have teaching and preaching and equipping of church planners, and that's brilliant. They're leveraging technology. I, I think if Jesus would have had LED screens, he would have used them back in his ministry. I think he would have. And he may or may not have come up here with his PS4 and had family video game night from time to time. I don't know if he would have done that, but maybe. maybe. But Jesus used technology to amplify his voice. And I love that it was borrowed technology. It wasn't even his boat. But look what happened. He said, Peter, put out a little. And so he did. He began to teach the people. And when he was finished speaking, he said to Simon... Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. In other words, do the exact opposite of what successful fishermen in your industry do. And you're going you're gonna to have a catch. And maybe Peter was thinking, hey, Jesus, I'm sure you're a phenomenal carpenter. But we're the professional fishermen, and that's not how you do it. You know, sometimes Jesus will tell you to do something that doesn't make sense to your head. And here's what happened, though. Jesus wanted to bless Peter for the use of his boat. See, if you let Jesus use your boat, he'll want to bless you, too. And, some, and the way that Jesus blesses you is he gives you an opportunity or he gives you a command. Let me say it to you a, a different way. He gives you an instruction. Whether the blessing materializes or not is up to whether or not you follow the instruction. A lot of people, I don't know why God won't bless me. Have you followed the instruction? What instruction? The one he gave you. <laughs> Okay, this is not in my notes, but somebody needs this. Peter partnered with Jesus in his ministry, and because he partnered with Jesus, Jesus said, I'm going to bless you. Did you know that, that Jesus always blesses people who partner in his ministry, who help amplify his voice? Well, if you didn't know that, Jesus blesses people who partner with his ministry. It's okay, you can say amen. We're a charismaniac church. And so, this is what happened. Simon answered and said to him, Master, we worked hard all night. We're kind of tired. We caught nothing. 
But I love this next phrase, nevertheless at your word. That's a great little phrase for you to keep in your playbook when it comes to Jesus. Because sometimes he will tell you to do something that whoop, does not make sense. But if you'll just say, nevertheless at your word. I remember 16 years ago, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to go pastor this uh, broke, busted up church in Mobile, Alabama. And we're like, <laughs> no thanks. And then we thought about it and said, nevertheless, at your word. And I'm so glad that we launched out into the deep and let down our nets for a catch. And so that's what Peter's doing here. He says, nevertheless, as you say, and he let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. Their net began to break. Jesus said, let down your nets. They only let down a net. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats for them to come and to help them. And they, and they came. They filled up both boats so that they began to sink. Now, I don't know about you. That's a lot of fish. Did you know that prosperity and increase are an association? In other words, Peter and his partners, their boats became loaded. How many of you want to be loaded? Jesus, or Peter was not loaded until he associated with Jesus. He wasn't loaded until he partnered with Jesus. Prosperity and increase is an association. Maybe you need to improve your associations. There was a study that was done. And again, this is not my notes, but I got an unction to say this, so I'm going to say it. There was a study that was done that at the end of your life, your average annual income will be very close, within 10%, it'll be a 10% average of the 10 people that you associated with the most over the course of your life. <laughs> change your associations. Peter changed his association and he got loaded. That's good stuff. Who are you hanging out with? That's why I'm always encouraging you, join a small group. Get in a small group. Join a small group. Why? So you improve your associations. Because you used to be hanging out in the nightclub, and now you're hanging out in the light club. So you're stepping in the right direction. You're on track. Now join a small group. When Simon saw that so many fish had come into his boat and to his partner's boat. How many of you got to be careful who you partner with? You got to partner with people that'll cooperate with Jesus. He fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, for I am a sinful man. Some people say, Well, see, money is evil. It'll make you go buck wild crazy. But that's not what happened to Peter. He fell down on his knees and repented and said, I'm a sinful man. There was humility. So money is not evil. It's the love of money that's evil. Money just accentuates what you already are. It makes you more of what you are. It highlights what you already are. It's kind of like power. You get authority, you get power. We see what you really like. What's the old saying? You know, you want to test a man. You really want to test a man. It's not with, uh, it's not with uh, wealth. It's with, it's with power. Give him power. Give him authority. Then you see what he's really like. That's why Proverbs says it's, not, it's, it's, it's terrible when a slave becomes the master because he's got that slave mentality. But we're not slaves. We're sons and daughters, right? 
So Peter fell down at Jesus' feet, and he, for amazement, had seized him and all of his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. Everybody say taken. Would you like to be seized with amazement because of the influx of what happens in your accounts? I said influx. Three people, be it unto you according to your amens. Would you like to be seized with amazement at the increase that God brings into your life? Seized with amazement. Like, what? That's what I do. I'm amazed. What? Are you kidding me? By the way, um, about three or four weeks ago, we had a guest here at Night of Worship, and uh, he spontaneously received an, an offering of honor toward, for me and my wife. And we didn't ask him to do that. We, we didn't tell him to do that. He just he did it. And we were seized with amazement. So thank you for all of you who invested in that. We, we were completely astonished and blessed. But Peter was see. I love that. Amazement had seized him and his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't fear. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him. Some people say, see, they left everything and they followed Jesus. But guess what? Here's my opinion. Okay, I don't share my opinion with you very often because it's not that important. Because you know what opinions are like. (laughs) Armpits. Everybody has at least one and they stink. (laughs) So here's my opinion. But but, but this is based on reading the scripture. James and, and John, sons of Zebedee, they were partners with, you can read in the other gospel, that their father was also involved in the business. They left everything and they followed Jesus. But Daddy Zebedee, I bet he was like, I'll take care of all these fish, boys. You guys go on to follow your new friend. I like him. I like him a lot. Y'all stay close to him. Anytime he wants to go fishing, you tell him to come home back. I'll take him out in the boats anytime. And Daddy Zebedee sold the fish and put all the money in everybody's account appropriately, according to their partnership. There's no reason to think that all that wealth went to waste and just laid there on the shore. Think about it. The same Jesus who multiplied the fish and loaves and fed the multitudes. He was the same Jesus who said, all right, now y'all pick up all these leftovers, put them in the basket. And there was 12 baskets left over. That same Jesus is not going to let all that boat-sinking, net-breaking load of fish waste. Right? He's not a wasteful Jesus. He doesn't even waste your bad experiences. So you can guarantee they got paid. So, here's what I want you to see from that story, though. All that was just for free. Here's the meat. You ready? Jesus went and got into Peter's boat. He didn't make make Peter come to his carpentry shop. He went and got into his boat. We are supposed to go, metaphorically speaking, get into people's boats with them. Go where they live. Teach them to fish for men in their villages. Show them that the gospel works in the context of their life. We are to model and demonstrate to them how to live, how to witness, how to share our faith in Christ, how to believe God when 
trials and temptations come. How to belong to a community of faith. Because you know why we have to model it? Because some people don't know how to act. And we have to demonstrate and model it to them. Don't we? That's why sometimes around here, we will hear people say lovingly, Hey, sweetie, that's not how we act around here. Or that's not how we do it around here. Now we have to say it, you have to say it in love. Not we love to say it, but say it in love, right? There's a difference. Now, like, that ain't how we do it right here. Mm -mm. We don't do it with an attitude. We do it with humility. Because some folk don't know how to act. Have you noticed that? If you're sitting next to somebody who just raised your I'm just kidding, don't do that. That would be an example of how to not act, right? <laughs> so we model how do we act? How do we trust God when the pressure is on? How do we share our faith in Christ to other people in the city, in the community, in such a way that's not offensive or weird, right? That's why we don't walk down the aisles of Walmart jerking in the Holy Ghost and shouting in tongues because that's weird. That's weird. Nobody wants to follow weird people. Okay? The Bible says we're peculiar. Let's, let's just stop there. That's enough. Okay? You don't be weird. But we model these things to other people that we're bringing up in the faith. So, you know, I used to fly and travel a lot. I'm a lifetime million miler with Delta, not counting all the other airlines I've flown on. And so um, I actually spoke to the CEO of Delta on the phone the other day when I was booking my trip to India. He, I said, there was a party going on in the background with the guy on Delta. I said, man, it's kind of loud at your office. He goes, yeah, the CEO just surprised us with a surprise visit. I said, let me talk to him. <laughs> he said, uh, I can't guarantee that, but hold on. Next thing you know, the CEO of Delta is on the phone with me. Mr. Cooley, I want to thank you for your loyalty and being a million miler with us. And uh, I said, yes, sir, ever since 1997. He said, well, we, we appreciate it. Is there anything we can do for you? I said, as a matter of fact, Y'all used to have a direct flight from Atlanta to Mumbai. Can we get that flight back? He said, it'll be back before the year's out, Mr. Cooley. I said, well, thank you very much. And I said, I bless you in Jesus' name. He goes, oh, well, well thank you. I said, oh, well, you're welcome. And that was my conversation with the CEO of Delta. True story. And I got a great, I, I bought the cheapest tickets to India I've ever bought in the last 25 years. That's a true story. $1,091 round trip. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm taking my wife with me. We're going over there in a few weeks. So anyway, but we're to model how we... So I used to travel a lot, is what I was trying to tell you. And so one of my things I used to do for fun is I would make up different... When people say, what do you do for a living? I would make up different things. It was how I'd entertain myself. They would all be true. But they would just be, you know, perspective. So they'd say, what do you do? I'd say, well, I'm a bodybuilder. And they'd be like, really? I was like, what do you mean, really? You can't tell. I build the body of Christ. And what do you do for a living? I'm a travel agent. Oh, they can believe that. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, I, I book tickets out of hell into heaven. What do you do for a living? I'm a motivational speaker. Oh, okay. I'm a life coach. Tell them all the so, but, but one of them is, what do you do? I say, oh, I'm a supermodel. Really? <laughs> so all of you also are supermodels. We're supposed to model the supernatural lifestyle to other people in our, in our small groups and in our communities. Right? Everybody say, I'm a supermodel. 
Just no, 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 no. Scratch that. Look at your neighbor and say, "You a supermodel? <laughs> oh, you're so pretty. A supermodel, chilida." So to extend Jesus's plan faster, focus on forming leaders and then expecting them to bear fruit. Expect them to bear fruit. What kind of fruit? Character. So if they demonstrate something that's not integrous, we say. Hey, man, oh, sweetie, that's not how we do it around here. That's not how we as Christ followers live. We keep our word. We pay our taxes, et cetera, et cetera. We speed up at yellow light so they don't turn red on us and we get it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But the fruit that we bear is character, integrity, winning souls, being loving and kind and generous, leading small groups. Cast some vision. The, ult, the ultimate goal is multiplication. We're trying to multiply you. It's, it's not enough to do well. We want to multiply laborers who do well. That's why we have, you know, we have a Bible school in South India. Pastor Samuelson Gupta from, is here with us from Bagdogra. He's graduated from our Bible school. He has a Bible school now. Um, we have, um, who's the brother up in Nagaland that has the Bible school? Who's one of our grads? Uh, Lulu, right? Kiso, and so we we have Bible school, a Bible school that multiplies Bible schools. So we multiply leaders. Um, why? So that we can go further, faster. So we're trying to duplicate. We love multiplication. We we don't we don't like division. We don't mind an occasional subtraction. Addition's good, but we love multiplication. Jesus is into multiplication, multiplying disciples, multiplying fish, multiplying loaves. Everybody say multiply. So uh, it's not enough to do well. We want to multiply laborers that also do well. Jesus said make disciples. So disciples are not born. Disciples are made. You make them. So we will have, and we are developing a systematic leadership pipeline here at Harvest Church. We have Bible schools around the world. We're going to have a Bible school here at Harvest Church. Um, Let your teenagers during the summer come intern with our youth pastor. It's a free internship. Uh, Next year, it might not be free. So get in while you can. Get the good deal. So there's power in duplication. Two becomes four, and four becomes eight, and eight becomes 16, 16, 32, 64, et cetera, et cetera. Ciphering. You know, in the Old Testament, there were schools of the prophets, but there was always that one prophet that the prophet invested in, and that's the one who went on and impacted the next generation. So we want to impact the next generation. How do we do that? Through multiplication, through duplication. Jesus, think about this. Jesus, he came to the earth. He poured, invested his life into 12 men. Let me say it this way. Jesus came to the earth, started one small group, and then went back to heaven. Of course, he did some other things. But that's how important small groups are. So get in where you fit in. Get in a small group. I've led a small group this last session. And funnest, best small group ever. We had a blast. So this is why I'm constantly inviting you to get in a small group. Now, remember I told you this is not a hanky-waving, run-around-the-room kind of sermon. 
but it's important. It's kind of like you tell your kids, eat your broccoli. This is our broccoli. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is one of, my, <clears throat> one of our keystone verses in our ministry in India. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. You, therefore, my son. This was not Paul's biological son. This was his spiritual son. This was his disciple. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Question, pop quiz. What grace is in Christ Jesus? He goes on to tell us. The things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able also to teach others. What's the grace that's in Christ Jesus that he wants us to be strong in? The grace of duplicating and multiplying. Take what you've learned from me, teach it to other people who will be able to teach it to other people. Think about it. There's four generations mentioned here. Take the things, the grace in Jesus, the things you've learned from me, Son, Timothy, you teach those to faithful men who will be able to teach others. It's really five generations mentioned here. So that's quite a downline. You think of it from a multi-level marketing perspective. So there is a grace from Jesus, the head of the church, available to you to mentor and, and disciple somebody. You might think, Pastor, I can't, I can't disciple nobody. I'm pretty messed up myself. I promise there's somebody out there more jacked up than you that you can help. Help them. Help them. Commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He says, I want to warn you that if you begin to make disciples, all hell's going to break loose because this is when the devil gets really mad is when we start implementing Jesus' plan to win the lost and make disciples. Until then, you're really not a threat to the devil. He doesn't mess with you that much. But when you begin to make disciples, that's when... Hell attacks. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Remember, Jesus said, greater works than these will you do. How many want to do the greater works of Jesus? We get excited about the, oh yeah, the greater works. Mm -hmm. He healed the sick. Uh, he raised the dead. Uh, he made the blind eyes open. He made the deaf to hear. Uh, and we go, oh, glory to God. He fed the multitudes. Uh, but then we forget about the greatest work of all that he did. He discipled 12 men. And you start doing that, that's when the devil's going to, you're going to show up on the devil's radar screen. He's going to say, oh, I'm going to have to do something about this guy. I'm going to have to do something about this girl. But he can't. If he could have, he would have already. But you be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. His grace is enough. His grace is sufficient. Remember that old song, His grace is enough. His grace is enough. His grace is enough for me. God, I sing your grace is enough. That's a good song. So, we allow God to put a fathering heart in us. That's the heart of the Father. To multiply disciples or spiritual sons. And then the world will never be the same again, again. The heart of the Father is turned to the children. The heart of the children turn to the fathers. That's a last day's prophecy. In other words, people are going to start discipling people, and Jesus is going to come back. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a testimony to every nation. Then the end will come. So we're not waiting on Jesus. He's waiting on us to do the greater works. You want to, see the great, you want to, you want to start seeing the, seeing the sick 
healed, the blind eyes open, the dead raised. You want to start seeing miracles of provision? Start discipling people. Because the greatest works of Jesus were not the miracles. It was, it was the disciples. A pastor friend of mine sent me this. It's the difference between a believer and a disciple. You ready? A believer will go to church. A disciple will be the church. A believer will give, but a disciple will tithe. Oh, I was hoping you'd say amen on that one. A believer will consider what you say as an option, but a disciple will see it as a conviction. A believer will be a servant in the house, but a disciple will be a son of the house. A believer won't let you put a demand on their time, but a disciple will let you impose on their schedule. A believer will follow the crowd, but a disciple will lead the committed to do something. A believer will treat you like an option, but a disciple will make you his passion and priority. A believer will push back, a disciple will lean in. A believer will follow Jesus to a point, but a disciple will deny himself, take up his cross and follow Jesus. A believer will seek God's gift, but a disciple will seek the giver. And finally, a believer will show up for the sexy, but a disciple will stay around for the sacrifice. A lot of times we just mistake discipleship for a lecture or for an education, but what it is, it's obedience to the lordship of Jesus and it's life transformation. Let me say it again, because in America, in our great and marvelous democracy, we say, it's a free country, I could do what I want to. But guess what? We are dual citizens of both this country, the greatest country on the earth, in my opinion. I've <laughs> spoken like a true American. But we're also citizens of the kingdom. And in the kingdom, you don't get the vote. It's not a free country. You do what you're told. And we have to bring a little of that kingdom mentality into the church. Amen or oh my. It's true anyway. And then Jesus said, just so that things don't get out of control, so somebody doesn't get on a, you know, authority kick, and I bless God, I'm the pastor, you do what I say, or I'm a deacon around here, or I'm an elder, or whatever. He said, now, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, be the servant of all. We're a kingdom of sons that serve. So, how can we, as your church, help you take your steps toward being a disciple how can we help you take your next step well next Sunday is not only happy birthday harvest celebrating 32 years of harvest church there will be cake yes uh, there will be oh, actually there will be donuts a donut wall a wall of donuts build that wall build that that wall the donut wall and there will be, is there an ice cream truck or a snow cone truck? Woohoo! So, yes, there will be lots of sugar. And then we will get your kids sugared up and then send them home with you. 